KYW Original Podcasts. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic in Philadelphia, subscribe to KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Coronavirus Pandemic from KYW In-Depth. There's a desperate race to find a treatment for coronavirus, and the doctors at a New Jersey company think they may have found it. Now, what they need now is fast-track approval from the FDA. Dr. Mark Denubali is an infectious disease doctor and the chief medical officer at uh, BioAegis Therapeutics, which is located in Morristown, New Jersey. Now, they've been studying a therapy in pneumonia patients that they believe holds great promise in treating this most severe cases of coronavirus. Dr. Denubali, thank you so much for joining us here on In-Depth. Thank you for having me. So before we get into your therapy, can you begin by explaining what the coronavirus does? Why do some people end up in the ICU on ventilators? Well, I'll be glad to explain coronavirus as much as I know. And I will say it's for the medical community uh, as a whole. There are a lot of things we don't know. Coronaviruses are a group of viruses. Many of them have circulated around the world for years, causing mild illness, but they are upper respiratory tract infections. That is, they don't involve the lung. The various coronaviruses that have emerged from different places on the globe are different in that they can cause lower respiratory tract infection, that is pneumonia, And they do this because they have a protein which sticks out of their surface, which can bind to a human protein in the lung. So now instead of being a nuisance cold or a mild flu-like illness, they are able to penetrate into the lung and there they cause a very brisk and sometimes injurious, overabundant inflammatory response which hurts the host. The first of these was SARS and then what's called MERS and now this is the third of these coronaviruses with this ability to bind to receptors in the lung and that raises the ante so that now severe illness is commonplace as opposed to being almost unheard of. Let's talk about your therapy From what I understand, it centers on a naturally occurring protein. So what role does this protein play naturally in the body when you get an awful infection like this? The protein is called gelsalin. A very famous physician named Tom Stossel in the Harvard system discovered it. This protein is present in significant quantities in the blood and seems to modulate inflammation. So initially, Gelsalin leaves the bloodstream, goes to the site of infection, and debrides the injury. So when cells are injured, as in pneumonia, they rupture their, their guts, their intracellular contents. Gelsalin comes in and digests that, clean it up, and it encourages inflammation. But once the debris is cleared, now gelsalin is able to bind to the inflammatory mediators and decrease the inflammation, which allows the site to heal. So initially it goes in, it's actually pro-inflammatory, 
helps with the antimicrobial effect and cleans the debris. And then as the tide turns, it's able to put a cap on the inflammation, which sometimes, as in coronavirus, is very excessive. And it's that inflammation, we think, that plays a role in why coronavirus uh, patients get very sick and die in respiratory failure. And that is where gelsalin mainly acts. I think in the in the pneumonia setting, it prevents the over uh, exuberant inflammation from damaging the lung. So the patient would get sick, but wouldn't get deathly sick, and lung tissue would be protected. In fact, repaired. So the more severe the injury, the more severe the damage. Does that then deplete your supply of this naturally? Yeah, that is the problem. This is a complex thought, but in the days before we had antibiotics and surgical interventions, the, the body's way to survive was to let inflammation go wild and take your chances. So there is no real upregulation of gelsalin. There's a certain amount to temper the inflammation. So if you have a severe injury, whether it be an extensive burn, you get hit by a Mack truck, you're getting high concentrations of oxygen uh, on a respirator, all those things create damage. And if that damage is great enough, the gel solid runs out. And what we've found is that if one just follows patients, when they get to the emergency room, after their major trauma, if it's really severe, they have very low gel solid levels already, and they develop complications hours to days later, ARDS and uh, MERA, the complications we see in coronavirus. So there's a window of a few days from when the gel solid is depleted and when the end organ, in this case, lung damage tends to occur. And that is a window of therapeutic opportunity. That's where we're suggesting that we can give gelsalin back, replete a naturally occurring protein, and stem the tide. So this was under, you were studying this long before this coronavirus pandemic. Um, So can you tell me what those, what did you learn from those studies? What were those studies about? What did you do? And and what were, what were the conclusions you've been able to make thus far? I actually, though a Philadelphian and an Eagle, not a Patriot fan, I went to Boston to do my infectious disease fellowship and ended up in the lab of Tom Stossel. His lab is where the protein was discovered as part of the inside of a cell. Nobody actually took took this head on for a while, but there, was a, uh, there were a number of people who shortly thereafter just started looking at gelsalin in disease states. And I remember one of the other people working in the lab discovered that gelsalin levels in disease, especially significant disease, were lower. But we didn't have any idea of how it worked. Then came the thought from the trauma patients we were able to show that uh, in a study that the more severe the injury, the lower the gelsalin levels, and the lower the gelsalin levels, the more likely bad outcomes a week later, not immediately. The data accumulated rapidly in the last five years or so about the vast spectrum of activities that gelsalin was involved in. We see it kind of a master regulator of the whole inflammatory system. Multiple, multiple animal models were looked at where gelsalin was given in 
life-threatening infections and other injuries. And we found that the mice or whatever the animal seemed to do better and actually survive more often when they were given gelsolin. Then we did really our only study in humans, and we found that we could give fairly high doses of gelsolin. We established gelsolin levels with once-a-day dosing and do no harm. The population we looked at were mildly ill patients with community-acquired pneumonia. We actually didn't expect that we'd see a benefit because those patients were mildly ill and do well with standard of care. So that gets us to where we are now, 30 years later in the Gelsan saga, that we want to test the ultimate proposition, the so-called proof of concept. Can we give Gelsan to patients who are sick and likely to get sicker to prevent the progression to fatal respiratory failure and other end organ damage. That's where we stand now. We, we have uh, shown uh, in humans as well as by virtue of the idea that this naturally circulates, that it's likely to be totally safe uh, and that it's time to test it in patients. Just so happens that coronavirus came along, which is exactly the kind of patient we would want to treat, a patient with uh, pneumonia, sick enough to come in the hospital, at high risk to have a bad outcome, to intervene in that magic window and prevent the progression. Autopsy studies of patients with coronavirus have shown that their lungs initially are full of inflammation, even though the amount of virus may be decreasing, the inflammation is what's destroying the lung. So there seems to be a perfect place to be able to identify these patients, intervene with something that modulates inflammation and prevent the damage. And in fact, that's one of the rationales being used in the trials that uh, look at hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin. Part of why they're being tested is because they modulate uh, the inflammatory response to infection not because they have a strong, direct antiviral effect. Right. They basically go after the damage and prevent the damage from becoming worse and then help repair it, correct? Right. That's okay. exactly right, and that's exactly where we are with Gelsalin. It seems to me, um, from all the reports I've heard about coronavirus, that you have a really small window because I hear that you keep hearing that when people get sick, they get very sick very quickly. Well, that's an important observation, um, but it's, it, it's different in different situations. I know there are stories of people who just started to feel sick enough to go to the hospital, and by the time they got to the hospital, they were in respiratory failure. But there are also, I think, the, probably the more standard is you kind of dwindle along, have a step up to more severe and then a step up again a few days after that. It's unpredictable, but it doesn't necessarily happen totally in one giant leap. Okay, so you've, you've done your studies already on animals. You've done your studies on a very small group of people. And so now your next step, if I understand you, you need to do a much larger study on people. And are you are you particularly looking for, for only coronavirus patients, or, or who are you looking for there? What, what does that next study look like? Right. 
Well, coronavirus, in a way, might have been looking for us. We were preparing, after the good results from the safety trial, to propose a uh, trial of Gelsalin in community-acquired pneumonia of any cause. The, the magic, if you will, about Gelsalin is it doesn't depend on what's causing the pneumonia. It interrupts the cascade of injury. So it's what we call pathogen indifferent. So long before we knew that coronavirus, COVID-19, was going to raise its ugly head, we had put together a proposal or started putting together a proposal for severe community-acquired pneumonia defined by patients needing ICU care when they come to the hospital. It so happens that coronavirus is a major cause of that severe pneumonia. We could very well look at a coronavirus-only population. The other thing to say about the kind of what I just mentioned is that if we don't get two things in time for coronavirus-19. The, the beauty of Gelsalin and some of these other immune modulators is that they're not directed specifically at a virus. They're directed at the host. So when coronavirus-22, we'll be ready for that one too. This is not specifically for this coronavirus, though we, having said that, we would really love the opportunity to save lives by testing in this present population. And it seems like uh, though China is doing better, much of the world isn't, including the United States. So we are looking for regulatory approval uh, to, to move forward with this drug in this current coronavirus situation. Yeah, in fact, Dr. Fauci just warned us that this, you know, we could see another wave here. Um, so what, what do you need uh, FDA fast track approval? What does that mean? And what is your argument for that? I think our argument is there is an unmet need. There is nothing clearly shown to either treat coronavirus or to interrupt its progression. We have theoretical data about a natural protein that can interrupt the pathway that seems to be the primary reason why patients with coronavirus develop respiratory failure and die. We do not have regulatory approval yet in most parts of the world, including the United States. So before we can actually initiate a study, we need the FDA to say that they feel that the evidence supports advancing the clinical program and doing a study in the United States. The FDA, as it has always done, is open in emergency situations to fast-track approvals. If we were granted approval, that is, in their judgment, the likelihood of good was outweighs any likelihood of harm, and there's very little reason to suspect direct harm from this drug, we would then begin to recruit sites to do a study of patients with coronavirus. This is an IV formulation. So right now it would be given to patients sick enough to come into the hospital, whether we would want to impose even more restrictions and say they have to be uh, headed to an ICU or have some very severe illness that could be objectified by a score is not clear. But we would, we're, we're not looking uh, to give this uh, to the patient who's 
sitting out like I am right now, uh, quarantined at home. We're looking at uh, to give it to the patients at the at an early sign where they're starting to progress to interrupt that progression. So with luck, if everything went well, uh, we would like to be using this uh, as soon as possible. Obviously, part of the reason I'm in this business uh, is because I've worked with Gelsalin since I was young, and I think it has a particular role. It's not that I'm a bioegis employee, and that's why I believe in Gelsalin. I believe in Gelsalin. That's how I ended up as a bioegis employee, and I think this really is a chance to make a difference. So I'm hoping that the FDA uh, views the circumstance the same way, and we could push ahead with what I hope will be a life-saving treatment for many of the patients with coronavirus who would not do well otherwise. What about funding? I would imagine getting a drug to this phase is awfully expensive. Extremely expensive, and we're a small company, and to run a clinical trial, including the manufacturing, uh, is, is quite expensive. We are in a fundraising mode. You know, we used to go and try to explain this to people before the coronavirus era. Now, some of those people who who didn't think it was so, so urgent are now calling us to explore funding opportunities. We are looking for private investors, government grants, and so forth. And we are working diligently on all levels of funding. And so we're hoping that everything will come together in the next few weeks. So once you, let's say you, you get, you know, you get approval and you get to start administering this drug, can it be manufactured in a cost-effective manner where, you know, where it, it wouldn't be exorbitantly expensive to give to all of these COVID patients? So, you know, we're in an early stage where we're, we're not yet until coronavirus uh, thinking about the market, but the production system, which is done with recombinant technology, basically done with an E. coli system. We put the, the gene in the E. coli and the E. coli makes it and then it comes out, purify it and, and have it ready. It seems to be an extremely productive system and we should be ma- able to make a lot fairly quickly and I would guess, without knowing, relatively cheaply. So how are you feeling? You mentioned that you're in quarantine. Yeah, my wife is a nurse, and she had an exposure. And uh, by virtue of her exposure, we have both been asked to quarantine ourselves for 14 days after the exposure. We're just about at the two-week period. So we're going to be able to come out of quarantine to still be in quarantine because that's the, there's no one, at least in my little town across the river, out. There's no place to go, and that's just as well. So being in quarantine really isn't a hardship when everything is shut down. Yeah. But we are both fine, and hopefully we'll get the green light in a few days. Well, hopefully, please uh, keep us surprised. Let us know what happens. I will. Thank yeah. you. All right. Thank you very much, Dr. Danubali. We really appreciate your joining us here on In-Depth, and we wish you the best of, best of luck with this treatment. It sounds very promising. Yeah, it, uh, I, I appreciate you giving us uh, a forum to spread the good news, and I hope it comes to fruition and we can get ahead of this uh, this coronavirus outbreak. Thank you, doctor. We really appreciate it. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth Coronavirus. For more stories about the coronavirus pandemic, or if you just want to know more than what you're hearing on the news right now, if you want to go a little deeper, if you want to know how this could change your life or your routine, then subscribe to the KYW In-Depth podcast. Search for KYW In-Depth on the Radio.com app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Carol McKenzie, and we'll have another episode out soon.